In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, given that this evening we're observing the 10-year anniversary of my ordination, I thought I would take a moment um, to um, re recount, not to be nostalgic, but I know some of you don't know the journey uh, that I had uh, to the priesthood, and so I want to take a few moments to just to just do that, and it's, it's good to remember where we've come from, and I mean, as many times as I am a, you know, give reference to being a proud Virginian, most of you know exactly where I've come from, but, um, but the journey of to the priesthood was not necessarily a direct one. Uh, so again, I mentioned my parents are here. I was r raised in the Lynchburg, Virginia area and raised in a Southern Baptist church, which was a great church. I have vivid memories of that church growing up and a uh, very faithful Sunday school teacher. Uh, even when one of us showed up, he was there and always ready to teach uh, me when I was probably junior high and maybe early high school. And then uh, I, I met a girl in high school, and she went to a different church. Well, I met her two sisters. Then I met her. And uh, she went to a different church, so I asked my parents if I could go to that church, and they said, uh, I presume they said yes, because I did. Um, but maybe as a teenager, they said no, and I went anyway. So... Um, but, but there, you know, in different ways, my faith really came alive, and I uh, graduated high school, went off to Roanoke College to study biology and chemistry, which still startles uh, Tory students every now and then when I tell them that, and uh, that lasted a semester, uh, mostly because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and so I thought, why stay in school in this way if I don't know what I want to do? So um, part of that church that I had started going to in high school they had Word of Life Clubs, which is an organization in, primarily on the East Coast and up in New England. And so I had gone to summer camp up at their property in upstate New York. So they had a one-year Bible institute. So I thought, well, that makes sense. I'll go study Bible and theology for a year. It can't, can't do me any harm. Um, and I wasn't very far into that year when I realized, yep, at least I know what I want to study, Bible and theology. And I was uh, not smart enough to think about how you make a living. Um, I just fell in love with an area of study, and so I just started studying Bible and theology. And uh, from there, I started honing in on a possible vocation, or at least the Lord started using opportunities. So uh, I had to do a week-long ministry trip um, to the New York City and Newark, New Jersey area, and it was working with, with kids in after-school clubs. And I did that for a week, and the, the dean of women students, I think, who was kind of our chaperone on that trip, came to me one day and said, oh, Greg, you're, you're really great with kids. You should be in children's ministry, you know, which is ironic um, because I, I even then had enough sense to say, yeah, for like five days, I'm, I'm good. That's, that's my limit, probably about five days, you know. And so I knew I wasn't going to go into children's ministry, but when I, when I finished at Word of Life, I still wasn't quite ready to go to college. Um, not sure why. We talked about this the other night uh, with Wale. And so I joined the Navy. Uh, I, I joined the Navy in particular because my dad had been in the Navy. Um, but I just joined the military because I didn't know, uh, wasn't ready to go to school and thought, well, I'll make some money by being in the military. And uh, I knew enough that there would be some sort of GI Bill. But chose the Navy because of my dad having been in it. Chose the Seabees, the construction battalion, because once I learned I could learn something practical in the military, I thought, even better, right? Like, I can make money do my military thing, and learn something practical. So I, I did carpentry. That's what I learned. And 
Adam has at least seen my destructive carpentry abilities. My constructive carpentry abilities are not great, but, uh, but I learned how to saw things twice to get it to the right length and everything. And so, uh, uh, so I did that. And the military had a way of showing me that I was certainly ready to go to school. So, uh, so I finished my commitment in the reserve so that I could finish school. I went to Philadelphia College of Bible, um, was what it was called then, simply because it required the most Bible and theology units of any school I could find. That was my criteria. That was it. The school that needed the most Bible and theology units must be the right thing for me. So I went up to Philadelphia College of Bible, which is now called Karen University, and uh, started there in January, which I did for a lot of my education. I only started in the middle of the year um, often. And um, had a great first semester and then came back after a summer of working construction, not with the Navy, but as my summer job, and was introduced outside of the mailboxes to a young woman named Christina, who had gone to Liberty University for two years, which is my hometown. So Brent thought, oh, I'll introduce these people to each other because uh, he's from there and she went there. So that's how we got introduced. And uh, 25 years, uh, this July 30th, we celebrate 25 years of marriage, but this August will be 27 years of having been introduced at that mailbox. Um, and so finished at Philadelphia College Bible, married Christina, and we moved to Dallas so I could go to seminary. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary simply because professors I had had gone to Dallas Theological Seminary. So uh, that's why I went down there. And, uh, but I had to do an internship uh, to finish my undergraduate degree. And even without a seminary degree, the church I interned for said, wow, like we think the Lord's calling you to be ordained. Would you like to, to go through the process and see if the Lord's calling you to ordain ministry? And so I did and was ordained as a Baptist minister in December of 1993. So my ordination life is longer than my marriage because uh, I got married in July of 94. Um, so uh, then we went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and my education caught up with the ordination that I now had. And uh, um, it was there, right, about that time that I discovered, I knew I wanted to do a PhD by that point, and I discovered monasticism. So the rest of that is history as well. And um, from Dallas, uh, where I worked at a Christian school, actually I didn't work in any churches there, I worked at a Christian school while I was in seminary. Um, we then moved to Minnesota so I could study with monks, and, uh, which I did. And then I worked at Becker Baptist Church. Uh, that job fell into our lap. Becker is a town of 2,000 people, and we were looking for a new church. And so we drove up, parked to go to church, to visit this church, two weeks after we had moved there. And we were early because we didn't know there was no like Sunday school hour during the summer, so we were about an hour early. But there were people who met to pray. And his name is Lou Hoosman. I know that now, but Lou Hoosman was on the board. And some people got together still at the Sunday school time to pray together. And so he sees us, sees our Texas plates, and very uncharacteristically of Christina, uh, he goes, oh, are you guys just visiting the area? Are you traveling? And this is what's uncharacteristic of Christina. She spilled our life out to this man. Like, no, we just moved here. My husband's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. We moved here, so we go to St. John's. Okay, that's not like her, but, and before we had gotten into the front door, Lou Hoosman, who was chairman of the board, said, oh, that's, that's interesting, because we have a position open uh, for an assistant pastor. So I literally walked into that job, uh, my, first, my first pastoral experience, and uh, I was mostly responsible for the youth, because I was almost one myself still at that time, and, uh, but I did get to preach and everything, and to be honest, I worked with a pastor there named Rob, uh, and uh, Olson, because it was Minnesota, of course, and uh, <laughs> Rob Olson taught me how to be a pastor. Uh, that was where I really learned how to be a pastor. Uh, 
I had interned with my father-in-law. He taught me a lot, but I saw Rob in action, and Rob taught me how to be a pastor. Um, but PhD, so we, we left after I finished at St. John's a couple years later. I went to Toronto. I focused for the first two years just on being a student. And, but in Canada, because I was ordained, I could work at a church without any special visa. I could, I could have two jobs. I could work for the university, and I could work for a church. So after a couple of years there, I started working at the Greek Gospel Church that I've talked about before, that bilingual Greek church of evangelical immigrants to Canada. And again, that was another great experience uh, with another great pastor, uh, uh, John Hianides, who unfortunately got cancer and died um, not too many years after I left. But uh, John was a great example as well in working in that kind of multicultural context was so much fun. They thought we, well, we were poor, but they thought we were starving. And so we ate lots of souvlaki um, all the time. It was great. Um, and so, but finished my PhD and, and uh, some of you know this story, uh, interviewed at Baylor, that didn't materialize into a job. So I took a church position also in Canada at Fair Havens Community Church, it was called an Associated Gospel Churches of Canada Church, and uh, worked for another Rob, uh, this time Rob Elliott. Uh, Rob was also a great pastor, had a lot of fun. This was an area of retirees, farmers, and large vets, large animal vets. Uh, that's who we ministered to. It was great. The retirees, again, thought we never ate, so they fed us great, and, um, and it was a wonderful season of ministry, and it was there that Biola, that Tori, invited me to apply for the job that I've now had for almost 14 years. But in the course of that journey, more and more as I studied the scriptures, I thought, I'm not a Baptist anymore. Um, my sacramental theology, John 6, 1 Corinthians 11, um, were really challenging me uh, in my sacramental theology. And so I was ready in Canada to visit Anglican churches. Christina was not. I knew I wasn't going to become Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox for theological reasons, but Anglicanism on paper seemed like a great fit for me. For us, I assumed, and when I mentioned to Christina that we should visit uh, Anglican churches, she looked at me and said, who are you? And uh, so I realized that I had been having this rich educational experience, but I wasn't sharing it well with Christina, and mostly because to come home to talk about what I had been studying just felt like more work. And when I came home, I wanted a break, not to talk about work, but in hindsight, I should have talked about work. Um, and uh, so she wasn't ready, but when we moved here, she was. So it wasn't the first Sunday. Oh, I think it was the first Sunday we moved here. So uh, we moved here, and we got here, and Adam Johnson picked us up at the airport in Fred Sanders' van, because Fred was on a sabbatical that fall, or at least away, and said, you can use our van until yours arrives from Canada. And so Adam Johnson picks us up, drive, drove us to our rental house, got out. Now I know Adam better. This makes sense. But uh, he got out of the van. He probably helped us get our luggage in, and then you handed me Fred's keys and said, all right, I'll see you. And he bounded off to campus because we lived just next to campus. And uh, a couple few days later, uh, Adam and Katrina and Reuben uh, brought us food. Reuben, you may have been seven months, six months old, seven months old. We had a five-month-old. That's Nathaniel. So uh, they brought us Greek food, I think. And we sat on our floor and ate Greek food. And I said, uh, where's Placentia? And Adam goes, why? I said, oh, we're thinking about visiting a church there. He's like, what's it called? And I was nervous to say the name of this church I wanted to visit because I didn't know the Biola culture yet and didn't want to lose my job before I started my job. <laughs> so I said, well, it's an Episcopal church. He goes, oh, Blessed Sacrament? I said, yeah. He goes, great, you can follow us. <laughs> and uh, so I don't think we did, but you gave us directions, I'm sure. This is pre-phones. I know it's hard for some of you to think about. But uh, anyway, we had to have directions written down for us. And so we went out there, 
Uh, and it was, in fact, a pretty steep learning curve for those who spent time at Blessed Sacrament. Uh, you know, east-facing altar, incense every week, very high church. It took us a while to settle in. But what really did it, and some of you have even heard this story before, is uh, we always took scrap paper for Brendan to draw on and to write on and because the kids came in at the piece like they do here. And um, it was, I remember this, I might still have the, I think I have the piece of paper in my office at work somewhere actually, but it was a Mickey Mouse shaped ears and face pad. And he drew a stick figure, Jesus on a cross. And um, because that's what he saw every Sunday on the back wall. And there were a couple of stray marks on the page. I don't know if you remember this, Brendan, or if I've told you this, but I said, I leaned over and I said, he looked at me as a four-year-old and said, tears, because Jesus is crying. And I thought, well, we have our church. This is going to, we will be Anglicans, because if my son can learn that theological truth from looking at the image on the back wall, my goodness, what is he going to be able to learn from the liturgy? Um, so we spent four years at Blessed Sacrament. Uh, I was ordained 10 years ago, uh, May 22nd, 2009, right at the end of that season. And then we went to All Saints in Long Beach for three and a half years where I was an assisting priest, and then we launched here, Advent 1, December 2nd, 2012. So that's my journey to Anglicanism and my journey to the priesthood. But it was Father Richard, our priest emeritus that we pray for every week, who now lives in Texas. He came up to me about the fourth Sunday that I had ever been at Blessed Sacrament, maybe a little longer, and he said, so I hear you're already ordained as a Baptist. Yeah, I mean, I don't. to this day, I don't know where he heard that from. It's not like I, you know... I mean, I wasn't ashamed of it, but I also wasn't talking about that. I was just trying to read books and keep up. So I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, does that mean you want to be an Anglican priest? I said, well, I guess if God's called me to be ordained as a Baptist, I can't see why he didn't call me to be ordained as a priest. And that started, you know, a three and a half year journey towards the priesthood. And so this past Wednesday, when I celebrated the actual day of the anniversary, I spent some time uh, reflecting on that. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm privileged to be uh, a pastor or a priest in God's church. I don't take that calling lightly at all. I'm very blessed by it um, and continue to be blessed by it and look forward to many more years of being a priest. And I was saying to Jessica upstairs before the service, she goes, okay, so if we have a housewarming and we invite you to it, don't feel obligated to come on your sabbatical. And I looked at Jessica and I said, you know what, if you wanted to do a house blessing, in your new home, and you want me to be the one to do it, I will come do it because I'm not stopping being a priest. But if you just want a priest to do it, you can find another one. But if you want me to do it, I'm happy because even on sabbatical, I'm not, a pri I'm not ceasing to be a priest. And so um, I start that sabbatical at the end of this week. Just to let you know, I'll be gone throughout June and July. Uh, the church will be in good hands with uh, Father Steve and uh, nine different people preaching in my absence. Um, so, um, but I'm thankful for being a priest and that God has called me to do this work. And as I reflected on the readings for tonight, um, I wasn't trying to bend them to fit this occasion. Um, I, as you probably know, I try not to do that to the text. I try to just preach the text. But I couldn't help but wonder this question in the Gospel of John that Deacon Wally read for us. What, what's the question that Jesus is answering? And how strange that the people who compiled the lectionary didn't give us the question, right? It starts off by saying, Jesus answered him. The question is just in the previous verse. To me, it's like, that was ridiculous. But anyway, so uh, 
I'm not responsible for it, so I, can, I, compl I complained. I got it out there now. But here, here's the question from verse 22 of John 14. Judas, parentheses, not Iscariot, close parentheses, said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So the question is one of like, why are you making yourself known as the incarnate son of God to us, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, but not to the world? Now, Jesus's answer doesn't map on well to the actual question, but that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus, like, great question. I'll give you the right, I'll give you the answer to the question you should have asked, right? It's that kind of a thing there, so it's a little like jeopardy. Like, I'll give you an answer, then you can reframe your question, right? So, um, so his answer is this, verse 23, we will come to him and make our home with him. So if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, at least Jesus and the father and we, but probably a reference to the Trinity, will come to him, to this person who loves me and will make our home with him. Okay, that, again, why are you making yourself visible to us disciples and followers of you, Jesus, and not to the world? Well, if anyone loves me, we'll come and make our home in him. And with, well, with him, sorry. Make our home with him. So that's the first part of the answer. The second main thing he says in the answer is he says down in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, John only references the Holy Spirit by the name Holy Spirit three times. He uses lots of other names, the comforter, the helper, those kinds of names. But only three times does he use the phrase the Holy Spirit, and this is one of them. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So why are you making yourself known to us and not to the world? Well, because we're going to come and make our home with anyone who loves us. So maybe what he's saying is, is well, you responded to my call. That's evidence that you love me. So I'm going to make my home with you. We're going to come and make our home with you. And I'm making myself known to you because it's to those who love me, who know me, that the helper, the Holy Spirit, will come and teach you all things. Now, we know at Pentecost, which we'll celebrate in two weeks, we know at Pentecost the Holy Spirit was given for the sake of the world. We know that Jesus is for the world. So the question that Judas, not Iscariot, asked is only for that moment of time, I think. He's not making a claim about Jesus never making himself available to the world, known to the world, manifesting himself to the world. No, it's just at this moment, why, Jesus, are you making yourself manifest to us but not to the world? And, of course, we know that Jesus has his reasons. It's a timing and issue and those kinds of things. He's raising up a group who are close to him. So we know why the answer is, but, but I want us to take a moment and just reflect on, for anyone who loves me, we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow, that really struck me this week. My theology of the priesthood is that I do not serve as a, I'm not just a functional person in this parish. That when uh, Bishop Alexander Green, Sandy Green, laid his hands on me, an ontological change happened. I was made a priest forever in Christ Church. Different. Wale is different than he was just a few weeks ago. Deacon Steve, different now than he was just at the beginning of February. 
right? And of course, Father Steve, the same. Like, these are ontological changes that happen at ordination, but, but so, you know, like, like that, that's happened, and it's marked me, and it's changed me, and I live into that reality now for 10 years as an Anglican priest. But, but listen to this. Like, if anyone loves me, we'll come and make our home with him. That, my friends, is for everyone. Right? If we love Jesus, he will come, he, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, make our home, make their home with us. i got to be honest, I don't even know what that means. I don't. I don't know what it means that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will come and make their home with us. Though I imagine it's at least a reference to the Holy Spirit coming and residing in each individual believer. I imagine also it's a reference to Christ's presence in the bread and the wine that he comes and tabernacles among us in the Eucharist, that he came and tabernacled among us, obviously at the incarnation, which makes the Eucharist possible. But again, I mean, what it means for the Father to come and make his home with us, I, I don't know what that is other than an incredible promise and reality for those of us that love him. So you know what? Priests are not. Like, loving God brings him intimately close to us. And again, we, we see that in our lives. We feel that when the Holy Spirit works and, and moves in our life. We see that again in the Eucharist itself. You feel that. You taste it. You touch it. When you receive the bread and the wine, we know God is close to us. We know there's no real chasm between us and the Christian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But again, without trying to figure out what it means for him to make a home with us other than maybe in those ways, let us just rest in this reality that all of us have access to the Trinity manifesting himself to us and tabernacling among us and with us. And that, I think, is what has struck me more than anything this week as I've reflected on my ordination. Is that, yes, I've been marked and set aside in a particular way. But even if God wouldn't have called me to the priesthood, that I would still get this benefit of the Trinity responding to my love for him in such a way as to come down and make his home with me. That's incredible. So much so that if we jump to the Acts passage, I think Paul illustrates this for us. I'm a little jealous, like, Paul keeps getting visions, right? Come on, save some for the rest of us, you know? Like, there's Acts 9, the vision that converts him. Then now in Acts 16, verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul. Now, it's vision, though it only records that he hears a voice, right? Uh, Well, I mean, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen this, he thought, hey, we're being invited by God to go to Macedonia, so let's go over to Macedonia. Right? But, but again, I think when, it, 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 again, it's tempting to think like, well, Paul gets to have visions. Why don't I get to have those kinds of visions? Why don't I get to have that kind of experience? I mean, I, I'm greedy for books, I think, but, but maybe nothing else. I'm going to be careful what I say. That might not be true. But at least books. I'll at least acknowledge that as an area of greed in my life. And I, I like books. I love books, actually. I, I mean, to own, to read, to flip through, to consult. I love it. And so I'm, but I, I haven't thought about being greedy for something like visions, though I feel like I should be, right? That I should desire that. And if God ever gives me such a thing, and it's a true vision from him, thanks be to God. But, but again, like, maybe we should 
crave that, but, but even more so than craving those things, again, let's think about what the gospel just told us. Even if we're not having these visions that come from God, the point is, is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is with us. He has made his home, their home, with us. And this vision leads Paul to do things on the Sabbath day. So they go to Macedonia, but then even more so in verse 13, on the Sabbath day we went where we supposed there was a place of prayer. Good Christian people going to church on the Sabbath. And there they encounter this group of people, including Lydia, and they, we sat down and spoke to this group of women who had come together. So these women have also come to this place. Paul and them go there to, because they've heard it's a place of prayer. Lydia is a believer in God, we're told, but she gets baptized, and then that leads other people to get baptized. And, and so, like, this vision leads Paul to Macedonia, and then, like, I think just obedience to worship and to observing the proper, a proper pattern of worship, it leads Paul to this place of prayer where he meets these women who have come together for the same reason, and then the church grows that day. These people now know each other. It leads to ministry to them and, and with them. And so maybe a way to think about it as we conclude is this kind of, I don't know, contemplation or this communion that we can have with the Trinity that, we're, that we are told we have in John 14 should lead to us going out to action. Contemplation should lead to action. Communion with the Trinity should lead to mission, right? Preaching and the Holy Spirit, hearing the word of God, receiving Christ in the Eucharist then we are sent out to do work. Because, again, that's what my priesthood was all about. It is not for me. It's for the church. It's actually not about me. It's for the church. My priesthood is not something for me. God made me a priest for the church. But he's made all of us for the church. He's made all of us to have intimate experience and contemplation and communion with him. Again, not just in visions, but because we love him and thereby the Holy Spirit comes to make his home with us. But also because we respond to, to his word, the word of God in the preaching. And we partake of Jesus in the Eucharist. And we go out to do the work he's given us to do. That's what we say every Sunday. And so let me encourage us on this the Sunday where we're commemorating my anniversary, not just to think about me as the priest of this parish, but to think about us as believers, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, who get to be tabernacling, living with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but for the purpose of going out to do that work that God gives us to do. So I'm going to do a 7 p.m. Eucharist this week on Thursday for Ascension Day. Then I'm going to go off on my sabbatical, not stopping to be a priest, not setting that calling aside, but to rest, to get out of the weekend and week out sermon prep and those kinds of things. But if you know me, you'll know that I'm going to miss it soon enough, that I'm going to want to be wearing these fancy vestments again, back in this space, preaching and celebrating the Eucharist but only because it's for the church. And God has called me to do this. So pray for me to rest well, but pray for me also to serve him well for another 10 years, and Lord willing, many more.
In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.